All right, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Psalm 90. That was, that was super. Thank you so much, Lauren, for coming. Before we get going with Psalm 90, it's page 540. If you want to use a pew Bible there, the, the, the Bible's there in the pew. You can grab one of those. It's page 540, Psalm 90. Before we get going, I also want to say thank you. Last week, y'all did a pastor appreciation. Uh, Sunday morning, you, you acknowledged it, and Sunday evening had a little reception uh, for Val and I, and I want to say thank you. You know, the Bible teaches us uh, that there should be a, a special blessing of a relationship going on between pastor and people, and, and we feel that. I feel that day in and day out. I feel uh, the love and encouragement from you all. Um, but last week was special for y'all to, uh, to call me up on stage and to pray for me and to, to give us a gift and all the cards that y'all got. Uh, they were awesome. I, I read every one. Some made me laugh and some made me uh, really start thinking about things. And, and yet, it, it's a blessing. So thank you all so much. I can't tell you how much it is for, for me to feel appreciated. Okay? And y'all did a good job of that. So thank you. All right, Psalm 90. Psalm 90 is a psalm of Moses. And many of y'all may not know that. You didn't know that Moses wrote psalms. Moses is one of the old guys in the Bible from a long time ago, from the book of Exodus, from the Exodus, right? He's the one who wrote Genesis. So you know he's old, right? Moses is an old guy. He wrote the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, and he's a man of God. If you look at the little title there on Psalm 90, it says, A Prayer of Moses, the Man of God. What a statement, right? Usually when it's talking about Asaph or David or somebody else, it just gives like the choir director or something like that. This one says, The Man of God. Psalm 90 has a title for Moses, and it calls him the man of God. That means that this psalm, Psalm 90, might be the oldest psalm there is. Might be. And we know the psalms are good. We, we've enjoyed those week after week. We know they're meaningful. We know they are a full mix of emotions. We know that the psalms are us expressing through song what we're feeling about God. And sometimes that's rejoicing and sometimes that's complaining, right? Sometimes those are prayers and sometimes those are frustrations. Sometimes those are questions and sometimes those are preaching. All coming out in a song. We have all that in the Psalms. We have one here from Moses. And Psalm 90 is a good one. I, I, I've never heard that before, but I agree with you, Mr. Renfro. I feel like every week I've got a new favorite Bible verse. Psalm 90 is one of my favorite Psalms because I've been preparing for it all week. Read with me, if you will, Psalm 90. Lord, You have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever You had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, You are God. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all of our days pass away under your wrath. 
We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Three points today. Number one, God is everlasting. God is everlasting. Number two, people are ending. People are ending. And then number three, we pray God have mercy on us. Number one, God is everlasting. Number two, people are ending. And then number three, we pray God have mercy on us. Moses begins this psalm with just two verses to give you the big picture of God. He says, Lord, You have been our dwelling place. Your Bible might say our refuge in all generations. What a statement, right? I challenge you to try to find a time, a a time in history, an era, a generation where God was not in their minds. No matter what part of history you're reading, no matter what part of life or what place in the world you're thinking about, God has been the answer. Prayers have been lifted up. A fear of God has been there. And Moses, speaking on behalf of the people of Israel here, writing this psalm, says, God, regardless of what generation it was, if I look back to Adam and Eve, if I look forward to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, or if I look to the last of my days as we are moving toward Joshua taking over as commander of the Lord's army, as the leader of the people of Israel in Moses' place, regardless what era Moses could think of, God was their refuge. He was the answer. I hope you know that to be the case today in your life and in our world, regardless of whether you're talking to your children or regardless of whether you're talking to your parents or your neighbors or whoever. I hope you know God is the answer. I hope when you watch the news, your mind says, Oh, Father, we need you. God, help us. Moses is simply declaring here in verse 1 that we have no refuge apart from God. And wherever we may be and whatever our problems might be, the Lord is our refuge. And then he qualifies it a little bit with verse 2. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, you are God. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Moses is strengthening himself right now with the great view of God. He's big, y'all. He's really, really big. 
And Moses is a believer in God as Creator. We know that today people will call into question whether God is Creator. Moses would never question that. Moses knew it through and through. Moses is the one who wrote to us the creation account that we have in Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2. And here he recalls that before there were any mountains, before God brought those forth, before He had formed the earth, Before he had formed the world, Moses believes, and it's helping him understand life. It's helping him think through, which we're going to get here at my second point. Moses is comforted thinking through death and sin and struggle and all of that. Because that's what he's going to talk about in the rest of Psalm 90, right? Yes. And Moses is comforted by that in knowing that there is a Creator God that's bigger than creation. See, everything that we can understand through creation, we can make sense of when we know the one who created it all. And that's how Moses is beginning Psalm 90. I hope you know that. I hope that even your worst days, when you finally plop down at the end of the day thinking, man, today was difficult. I hope your mind goes to. But God is there. But God is here. God knows. He's bigger than my problems. And this is what Moses is doing. When he's thinking about that before all of that, before he even formed anything, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Have you ever, you ever talked about how big God is? You ever had one of those conversations about infinity? You know, kids get into numbers, they start talking about infinity, and it's like, it just keeps on going. And you think, what's the biggest number that we know? And somebody throws out an answer, and you're like, well, well what about more than that? You know, it's going that way. But then everlasting is, is that way, and it's, guess what? It's also that way. Time is not, right? We know when time started, God created time. But God was there before He created time. There's no time to restrain Him. He's everlasting. If you go forward forever, you're going to get to the end of the world, you're going to get to the judgment, you're going to get to heaven, it's just going to keep on going. We're going to live forever with Him. What about backwards? Well, we go backwards all the way back. However old, however old the earth is, you get back there and there was a time where God created. There was, a, there was a, a, a five days where there were no people, just a world with no people. And then on the sixth day, God created man. But before that first day, there was nothing at all. Nothing, nothing, nothing. Not a, not a universe. There was nothing. It's hard for you to picture. But there was God. And he was there. He wasn't there for a few days. He wasn't there for a trillion years. He was always there. He's been there since everlasting. He's that big. And so when you're late on your bills or the doctor gives you a bad report and you think, I'm falling apart. There is a God that is so much bigger than that. Our biggest problems are just like particles of dust in the grand scheme of things. And Moses declares from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. I want to encourage you today to be a Bible-believing Christian, a follower of Jesus, who like Mr. Renfro says, I started going to the source. I started reading the Bible and I learned everything my soul was longing and searching for. I want you to know today that your Father in heaven is an everlasting God from everlasting 
to everlasting. And may that big, bold truth shape everything. Second part that I want you to know is that people are ending. And life experience will teach you that people are ending. And if you try to understand that people are ending apart from God being everlasting, you will be miserable. You will be depressed. You will be discouraged. You will not understand. You will try to go to things that don't satisfy to try to satisfy you really quickly in a hurry right now. And they won't satisfy you. You have to understand that we're ending in light of everlasting God. Trying to understand that apart from everlasting God will mess you up. And that's what, that's what Moses goes to, that people are ending. I want to show you that people are ending here with four little points. Number one, people are ending by dying. We die. People die. Look at verse 3. You return man to dust. You say return, O children of man. We do. The Bible says that God made us out of dust, formed Adam out of the dirt. You remember that, right? He formed him out of dirt and you had a little dirt man laying there that never once had breathed and then God breathed into him and he came alive. And then the Bible says we will go back to that, to dust. Our fleshly bodies will. We die. It's just the truth. Hebrews 9.27 says it is appointed unto man once to die and after that to face the judgment. We're going to die. Look over to verse 7. For we are brought to an end by your anger. We come to an end. I hope nobody here is thinking, not me. I'm strong. I'm living forever. I've been eating my vegetables. I'm just going to keep going. No, don't think that way. Y'all, we're ending in the first way is that we die. The second way is we're ending is that we sin. We continue to do things that are wrong and bad for us and against God. We just do. Our lives and our worlds are are full of sin. Look at verse 8. You have set our iniquities before you and our secret sins in the light of your presence. Not only are we ending, but we are ending in a miserable way. We are are dying in our sins. For the wages of sin is death. The reason why we are dying, with my my first point there, is, is because of the way we live. We don't even know how to stop doing the things that are bad for us. We don't even know how to stop doing the things that are killing us, right? You hear it all the time. Let me remind you again. You either be killing sin or sin is killing you. It absolutely is. And we just keep doing it. Look what it says here, verse 4. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They're like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. And in the evening it fades and withers. Our sins are causing us to just die. We have sinned against God. He, and then he tells us there in verse 8 that our iniquities are before Him, even our secret sins. This is where the church must realize that God sees our secret sins. See, the world naturally is only able to get on public sins, right? That's the only type of sins you can get in trouble. are the ones that people know about. And that's why we have hypocrites in the world. Because if you can hide them, you never get in trouble. If they are found out, everybody sees them. But with God, that is totally not the case. He sees them all, even our secret ones. Moses is a man of God. You know why? He's aware of secret sins. You might be faithful here. You might give your money. You might come. I might speak well of you. But if you're hiding your secret sins from me and somebody else, you are not a man of God. Your family knows it. 
You're trying to keep it from everybody else. But you will not keep it from God. The reason why it says Moses is a man of God is because Moses is in tune with his secret sins. And he weeps over them and he confesses them and he cries out to God. The Bible doesn't tell us that Moses was perfect. We've got some serious mistakes going on of Moses if you read the first five books of the Bible. But he was in tune with an everlasting God and sins, secret sins, before that God. And so he repented. He cried out. May it be the case for any of you who want to be a real man or woman of God. Deal with your secret sins. We are ending because we die. We are ending because we sin. Thirdly, we are ending, and we see it this way, even when we are living, it is still a struggle. Look at verse 10. I, 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 I talk about this verse at most funerals. The years, of, the years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Now I say this at funerals, let me say it again. Absolutely fascinating verse. You think about the history of the world, every culture, throughout generations, talking about average lifespan. Moses forever ago wrote that average lifespan is 70, and if you're a strong man, 80. That's brilliant. Today in 2015 in the USA, that is pretty close to what we would say. You average up the whole world lifespan of every country right now, that is almost exactly accurate. It's fantastic. It's awesome. And you've got to be strong to make it to 80. Here's the truth. Most people don't make it to 80. That's what Moses is saying. Yet, even if you do live a good, long, strong life, look what he says in verse 10. Yet, their span is but toil and trouble. Even if you are living and working and doing well, it's a struggle. The best people I know are in the struggle. The most faithful people that I know are full of heartache. It's a sign that we're ending. It's a sign that things are not the way they're supposed to be. We are supposed to be a God with our Heavenly Father, and we as His children living in beautiful, peaceful, joyful, glory worship to Him. And even though we may understand that, it comes with a struggle because we're not in heaven yet. We are ending. Fourthly, it passes by so quickly. Even though... <clears throat> we're dying, and even though we're sinning to cause our dying, and even though if we're living long, it still is a struggle, with all of that said, even somebody that lives to be 90 years old, it happens that quick. My son's about to turn eight in a month. Eight! It's unbelievable. We've got five kids, and we're, we're getting close to being done with diapers. Can you imagine? I'm just getting old. <laughs> Mr. Bob Samuels and I get to hang out a lot, and I, be I believe next month Mr. Bob's going to turn 87. Is that right, Mr. Bob? Mr. Bob will turn 87 next month. Went over here to the pizza place here in Fairdale Pizza the other day, and they got pictures up of some old pictures, and we're looking at a basketball team from the 40s. Imagine that. Mr. Bob says... I think that's me. <laughs> Number 99 on the 1947 Fairdale basketball teams, Mr. Bob Samuels. Took Ramey there the other day and showed her that picture. She said, Man, he's handsome. <laughs> he's a 
good-looking man. I'm telling y'all, he was. That, that's what she's saying, right? Y'all, that was, that was 60 years ago. Life's passing us by. And you're believing a lie if you think it's not. And you're believing a lie if you think you've got all the time in the world. No, we are ending. Matthew Henry writes, Note that against all the grievances that arise from our own mortality and the mortality of our friends, we may take comfort from God's immortality. We are dying creatures and all our comforts in the world are dying comforts. But God is an ever-living God. And those will find Him as so who have Him as their God. You try to find something to get you through life and past life other than an everlasting God and you are going to be disappointed. Moses knows this. Moses knows this. He is a man of God. Which this has me thinking. This has me thinking about us ending. It means that there are times that we've already lost. I don't want to create in you a lot of regret today. I certainly don't want to weigh you down and make you worse than you were than you got here. But I do pray that the Word of God today would tear you down in conviction of your sins and build you up in faith in the Lord Jesus Christ with newness of life. That you would be resolved today to make the main things about life the main things. To make the priorities of life your priorities. To make the lasting things about life your commitments. Number one, God is everlasting. Number two, people are ending. But number three, we can pray to the Lord God have mercy. Look at verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. If God is everlasting and we are ending, God, help me to make the most of it. Give me perspective. Help me to get it right. Help me not to waste a single second. I've heard one man say that life is too short and hell is too sure for us to be lazy as believers in Jesus. Life is too short and hell is too short. Moses gets this. this. This so teach us to number our days is just at the, at the inner core of Moses. There's an urgency about him. Let me, let me show you. Verse 2, he says, everlasting to everlasting. Verse 4, verse 3, you return man. He's thinking about the end of man. Verse 4, a thousand years, he's thinking about, are just like a day, just as yesterday, he says. He's, he's thinking about time. Look at verse 6. It fades, it withers. Look at verse 7. We are brought to an end. Look at verse 9. All our days bring our years to an end. Look at verse 10. The years of our life. Verse 10. Yet their span. Verse 10. They are soon gone. They fly away. Look at verse 12. So teach us to number our days. Verse 15. Many days. Verse 15. Many years. 
Moses is gripped right now by the brevity of his life. And what makes the brevity of life so gripping is that it's so weighty. If something's meaningless, we're okay with it being short, right? I need you to go over there and stand at the wall and just stare at the wall. For how long? 100 years? I could never do it. For five seconds? Okay. He's feeling life. He's made by God. An everlasting God made him. He has sinned against this everlasting God. And that God loves him and will forgive him of his sins. His life was made for the glory and worship of God. And he's thinking about, I don't have that much time to do it. I want to do it well. God, teach me to number our days. I love it when people have an urgency about them. Let me show you that this urgency is all throughout the Scriptures. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says that God has placed eternity into man's heart. I love that phrase. God has put eternity in man's heart. Ecclesiastes chapter 3. But what about Isaiah chapter 40 where it says that all flesh is like grass. It fades and dies. All of us. What about John chapter 9 where Jesus says, in John chapter 9, night is coming when no man can work. Now's the time to be working, he says. What about Ephesians chapter 5? Our college ministry Bible study was on this just Wednesday night where it says, let us make best use of the time because the days are evil. Let's redeem the time, make best use of the time. Let's walk as wise, not as unwise. Or what about when James says, life is a vapor. Life is a mist. You're here today and you're gone tomorrow. That's James chapter 4. What about in Hebrews chapter 10 when it says, it is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Or what about this passage from Hebrews 3 verse 12. Take care brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by this deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. As it is said, today, right now, today, November the 15th, is your only shot for you to get right with God. You do not know that we would get tomorrow. You do not know that you'll get dinner tonight. To put it off is to misunderstand the urgency of numbering our days. Today, if you hear His voice, if God is speaking to you now, do what it takes to get right. Repent, confess it, turn to Him. Be open and honest. He is everlasting. You are ending. Today, if you hear His voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. Peter says it like this in 2 Peter 3. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved... That with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is as one day. And God the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but He is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. It's coming like a thief. It may be before this sermon ends. You better understand that. Do not hide your secret sins. Do not hide your public sins. Turn to Christ. May we leave here today with a great allegiance to Him. You see it throughout all the Scriptures. The Apostle Paul thinks this way. We know that he does. 
There seems to be an urgency with Paul. He was always on the go. And he says it like this in Acts chapter 20, verse 24. I hope you know this verse. But I do not account my life of any value nor as precious to myself. If only I may finish my course and my ministry, the ministry that I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He so understood the everlasting God that he did not count his life as valuable or precious as long as he could live for the glory of God, to the witness of Jesus. There is an urgency, and Moses brings it out, so teach us to number our days. Number our days means that there is coming a time when my days are going to be over. I don't have that much time left. Have you ever tried to squeeze too much into a day? Has your calendar ever been too full and you've been frustrated? We're trying to do too much here and it doesn't work. When you try to do too much, you either do what you're doing poorly or you neglect some things that are of more importance. That's bad. That's poor management. That is not of God. Moses wants us to think, what is it that I must be doing? And God, help me to do it. So let me name a few things that you may have already missed out on. Throwing ball with your kids. Pulling them on your lap to read some stories. Being a light in the workplace. You ever think about the places you used to work? And remember your old friends from there and how you wish you had told them about Jesus? I think about my friends from Bonefish Grill all the time. I worked there during seminary. And there were times where I was telling them about Jesus, but I still think of them often and pray for them. I won't get that back. I'm not going back to work there. There's things we're not going to get back, y'all. There's not. I grew up in a neighborhood when I was a little boy. All the way through high school, had friends. We played all the time. We played ball outside every day. Got a whole crew of guys that are still very dear to me. But I don't talk to them much anymore. That time's passed for me to point them to Jesus. And I don't know how many days I've got left right here in Fairdale... How many days I've got left here on earth? How many days I've got until Jesus comes back or before I die? Moses is teaching me, I better be thinking that way. I better make the most of them. I better not lay around like a lazy bum all the time, letting people not know about Jesus. And I better not be more into me than I am into J.J., Eli, Noah, Carolina, and Liliana. For heaven's sake, please know God. I better not think my time's more important than theirs. I'm almost to the point where they don't want me to pull, pull them on my lap and read them a book anymore. That's sad enough, right? God, teach me to number my days, Moses says. If you're a senior soccer player or football player, you'll never suit up again crazy. Football lost Friday night. They're done. Soccer season's over. It's done. 
teach us to number our days, God. Y'all remember me talking all the time about how excited I was getting to speak to the soccer team? Remember that? Remember how excited I was talking about soccer team? That, is such, that ended weeks ago. It's done. Life's like that. Opportunities are gone, y'all. Again, it's sitting to guilt us on the ones we've missed. This is to give us focus, intensity for the ones that are coming today or tomorrow. And if you've got a friend that's been wanting to spend time with you or you've been wanting to spend time with, plan it this week. Get with them. Redeem the time. That begins his prayer in verse 12. Look at verse 13. Return, O Lord. How long, God? How long are you going to leave us here in this ending of life, this struggle, this sin, this dying? He wants to be with the everlasting God. Have pity on your servants. I try to make this point every, every week. Christianity is not you thinking of yourself in a good light. Christianity is you seeing yourself as a sinner before God and embracing that Jesus died on the cross to make you right with God. And then being right with God, you have His life in you and you are full with life and purpose and joy. But trying to assert that you're right or that you're good and you're not that bad is wrong. This is the man of God, Moses, who is our hero, saying, have pity on us. He needs God to have pity on him. And he cries out in verse 14, satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love. Men of God know that the only satisfaction in life is God. That we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. The next time you hear, which will probably be like every day this week, somebody say, I just want to be happy. Because we say it all the time. I want you, you may not say it to them. Walk a thin line on saying this to them. But I want you to at least think. There is no happiness apart from the everlasting God. None, none, none. And Moses, the man of God, knows it. Verse 15, Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, and for as many years as we have seen evil. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. You see that? You know, I try to point out to you all these family, generational type passages. Look at there at verse 16. Let your work be shown to your servants. And then what? Your glorious power to their children. Men of God are always thinking about those coming after them. Men of God are always thinking about those coming after them. Moses, the man of God, is never thinking, just bless me. As long as I'm safe and going to heaven, I'm not worried about them. It's not the way you think. The everlasting God is so big and so true that if you want it for you, you want it for them. Verse 17. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. God, whatever work we're doing these final days, put your favor on it that it would count. Whoever we interact with in our last days, put your grace and favor and eye and face upon it, God, that it would count. We need a sense of urgency. The everlasting God has sent His Son to be our Savior and forgive us of our sins. 
reading the Bible last night with the boys, and we're back in Exodus again in the kids' Bible. Seems like we're always in Exodus. We're back there again. And it was where they were talking about the Passover and the ten plagues. I asked them if they still remember the ten plagues song, which I hope many of y'all do. They did. Then it got to the part where it's got the blood on the doorpost. And Noah hasn't been around as much reading the Bible as J.J. and Eli has, so Noah says, why they got blood on the door? So I said, well, keep listening. I'll read you the story. If you trusted God, you put blood on the door and your children wouldn't die. The tenth plague was the worst of plagues. Egypt and Pharaoh had been so disobedient to God that the worst of all, the tenth plague, was God's declaration, if you will not listen to God, I'm going to kill your firstborn son. They didn't have to die. None of them should have they would have listened to God and believed Him, but they didn't. The ones that did believe, no children died. God doesn't like to kill children. God is a Savior. J.J. said, if you didn't believe in Jesus, I'd be the one to die. Real talk, guys. He said, if you didn't believe in Jesus, I would have been the one to die. And we're not Jews living in Egypt a long time ago. But it's still the case, right? I said, J.J., if you don't believe in Jesus, and Eli doesn't believe in Jesus, and Noah doesn't believe in Jesus, you will die. But he'll forgive you of your sins. And may God have mercy on us to so change our lives and orchestrate them, number them, as Moses says in Psalm 90, verse 12, that we would be about that. Let nobody know us. Let nobody know First Baptist Fairdale and me and you all without seeing we want them to know God. The very last 